This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Geekscape Book Club. As always, I am Christian Blatt, and with me once again, the one, the only, the once and future Kring, King and Kring, <laughs> the great Eric Connor, Count Eric Connor. Eric, thank you for being here. We much appreciate it. Oh, I, I'm happy to join you all as we enter the world of images and words in the book club. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's kind of the whole point of uh, this show. I was telling Eric before we started that on Monday, I was uh, on the main show, the big time over there on the Geekscape main feed, talking about Madam Web with, of course, the great Jonathan London. And uh, he was surprised that we hadn't read what we we're about to talk about. And I, and I said, you know, Jonathan, this is that is the idea of the show. It's stuff that I know I should have. I mean, he, he should have been up in arms that I hadn't read Batman Year One. But uh, this this falls right in kind of a dead zone for me. So what we're talking about, there's a collection called Echo, Echo, the Saga of Maya Lopez. So you can buy it as a trade paperback. If you read it digitally the way I did, it's Daredevil issues 9 through 15 and then 51 through 55. And that 51 through 55 is uh, Daredevil in name only because... Boy, is he not really in those stories, is he, Eric? Nah, he's he's got a, a, a small cameo, uh, and it looks like they even it, a cameo twice, where it looks like they almost like just reuse the same panel. Yeah, and yeah. just change the text. So they they didn't even draw him more than once. I don't think it's not an exaggeration. It's no. literally more Wolverine than Daredevil in that those four issues. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> Wolverine actually has like dialogue and a yeah, couple of scenes and he's next. He's very important in uh, Echo's story. And uh, I think part of the reason might be that uh, old Matt Murdock has uh, gone through some changes by then. But before we talk about the second part of the story, uh, we're going to dive in and talk about the the first batch which features the uh, introduction of the character of echo which we talked very recently on our show marvel movie talk we covered all five episodes of the echo tv series that will recap on her involvement in the hawkeye tv show and uh i seeing these images for the first time and i'm stressing the images because the story is good but I mean, this is just some some beautiful artwork, and I'm just blown away by both parts of this story. What struck you before we start uh, diving into the particulars? What struck you about this, Eric? You had told me even before I read page one that this was kind of next level in terms of artwork, illustrations. And and so I kind of went in there already expecting it to be great, and it, it is beyond great. And, yeah. and what I love, too, is you have two very different styles, sometimes even in the same page, where yeah. one is much more, I don't know if you'd call it naturalistic, uh, photorealistic, and then one that's much more expressionistic and obviously inspired by a variety of artists and really getting us into the emotional subjectivity of Echo, the idea of this, this what she hears between the sp in the silence, like between the notes. And I felt like, you know, some it, under lesser hands, those two approaches would have almost canceled each other out, I think. But they really worked beautifully together. And uh, and the story here is great. I, I it just made me wish, honestly, the TV show took more advantage of what was clearly source material. 
because there's a lot of great stuff in these pages that did not make it to the screen. Yeah, I think part of the problem was probably when they were developing Echo as a TV series, they didn't quite have the rights to Daredevil back yet. Right, and right, then by right, the right. time that they went to shoot, well, I guess when they went to shoot Echo, they could have Daredevil in it because obviously Daredevil doesn't show up in Hawkeye, but Wilson Fisk does, you know? So I'm not sure uh, exactly on the reasoning for all of that. But yeah, I mean, honestly, there's parts of it where they're sparring that are reminiscent of what I refer to as the good act of the 2003 Daredevil film with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, when they're sort of just sparring and testing each other out, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know? And uh, this is old enough. I mean, it was, uh, I guess it came out in 1999, uh, it, it could very well, in fact, probably was inspiration for that film. In addition to the more recent stuff, you know, the the echo we see is very similar to this. But as we get to know more about her, her power set is more like Taskmaster than it is yeah. the echo that we see. Where I love this idea of, um, you know, she's just uh, she rents a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, videos. Uh, shout out to my '90s peeps. You know, she goes she goes into a video <laughs> store and uh, takes home some VHS cassettes. And uh, nice touch, by the way, uh, Matt wandering into the adult section and finding one of Karen Page's films, which unfortunately are canon. It is canon that she did porn. It is canon that she sold the kingpin his secret identity for some crack. Yeah, all these things happened. You know, we can't ignore them. Listen, uh, I mean, no, are any of us perfect? Right. Who are we to judge Karen Page's backstory? Oh, no, no, I don't at all. I just uh, I was you just wondering. seen the movies Christian made in college. My God. <laughs> I mean, it's even worse. I was in an improv comedy troupe. So I mean, that's <laughs> far more embarrassing than <laughs> pornography. So, uh, I, you know, getting to kind of see the the similarities, but the differences to this Maya Lopez uh, jump out a little bit. But honestly, they aren't many. You know, her backstory with her dad having been somebody who worked for Kingpin, Kingpin kills him and then tells her somebody else did it in the TV version. She said Hawkeye did it, you know, and then in the comics, it was Daredevil. So it, it's not that uh, it's not that distinctive from it uh, in a good way. It felt uh, familiar. What jumped out at you, Eric, in terms of things that might have been a little bit different in the comic version of Echo? You brought up the Taskmaster, uh, which I was going to as well. And it, it it's interesting, too, because, like, Taskmaster, obviously, she was in Black Widow. And we have Echo in, you know, both uh, the Hawkeye series and, of course, her own series. And yet the, the details of her abilities, uh, or honestly, even Taskmaster's abilities, don't quite make it, didn't quite make it to the Black Widow movie or to the Echo TV show, like that idea of her being like a sponge, renting a bunch of videos, uh, and 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 a shout out, of course, to Jackie Chan and the argument of whether it was from Rumble in the Bronx or Drunken Master Two, yeah, which uh, like is a that. debate yeah. I, I think I've had in my life at least once. Um, and I feel like it's a regular debate uh, by, by once. Home. I mean, once yeah. once a day. We, we, I feel like <laughs> yeah, your your boys uh, storm in and they're throwing down over it, and then Jet Li's name comes up, and then all of a sudden, you know, you oh, have yeah. to be the mediator. Every day. Uh, welcome to my life. And and so I think like that, even if and obviously with the when Daredevil kind of came back into the picture, I can understand changing things. But I think there were just that one element of her could have been mined a lot more in both movie and the TV shows. I, I'm sorry, the Taskmaster movie uh, in Black Widow or the Echo TV show. Um, and, and I think the Daredevil relationships is really terrific. I, but I'm also, I have to admit, a sucker for any time when it's sort of the hero and villain have some kind of romantic spark, you know, including, of course, you jump over to the DC, DC side of things, which we don't do here. Uh, there's more than one uh, notable example, but I really hope Echo shows up in Daredevil. That's the thing about reading this. It's like that relationship was really interesting. I loved how they complemented each other with the even the use of the piano and music. Yeah. Um, and, and and sheet music almost being like a stylistic template for a lot of the uh, panels um, in the comic. And so I, 
I, I don't think Echo's in Daredevil, but maybe you know something I don't, Christian. I, I don't know that she is, but uh, I do hope. And look, they have, right. they've announced 18 episodes for it. So they got room. Uh, there's, there's certainly an opportunity, even if maybe she shows up at the end. Uh, you know, a lot of times I, when we do these shows, I end up waiting until uh, far too late in the show when I start going through some of the images that uh, you have sent to me. But uh, I, I want to specifically start with the first one that you sent to me, which is uh, it's Matt standing at this wall with a lot of graffiti. And uh, the graffiti is covered with uh, shout outs. So uh, up here, you've got at the top, you have uh, Kevin was here and uh there was also uh, there was oh J, uh, and you have Jay and Bob down here. Okay, and Silent Bob. Yeah, and this <laughs> issue is the first issue after Kevin Smith's run ended on Daredevil, so it's uh, very much uh, aware of the fact that uh, hey, we hope you keep buying this, even though you right. know Silent Bob isn't uh, isn't writing it anymore. And there's a Who Watches the Watchmen. Um, was that why you grabbed this and wanted to share it with our audience because of uh, just some of the the fun, the fun graffiti that's there? You know, Stan Bowles yeah. being one of them as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know they had one or two moments of pop culture, sort of you know slightly meta moments that worked really nicely. Like no one's going to confuse this with like the quips of a Spider Man or the uh, meta madness that is. Um, uh th that is deadpool but but i i did enjoy moments that had a very organic levity to it because obviously you're dealing with especially the those last few issues of the series you know are pretty dark pretty grounded so i i kind of enjoyed moments that were you know a little light uh and 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 i think this was like a perfect way to do it but who watches the watchmen also, just the idea that they're shouting out something that's not a Marvel property at all. <laughs> yeah, it, I like that. And it's, I, it's it won't even be a movie for like ten more years, right? You know? oh, and they so. even mentioned Kryptonite at one point. So, yeah. you know, you you got to give them respect. I mean, these artists all respect each other's work. So, anytime they sort of tip the hat to the other team, uh, it, you got to respect. Yeah, that. I I did like sort of what you were talking about, both visually and narratively. There's the usage of the piano, but we're also getting a lot of boxing and, you know, yeah. that these are two things that Maya uses to sort of, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to say she's making up for her disability, but it's in the same way that Daredevil. I mean, it's such a fascinating idea that the the blind guy and the deaf woman would even have a cup of coffee yet have this, you know, world whirlwind romance and then end up, uh, you know, sort of very, very Shakespearean, you know, end up on the other end of each sure. other. And, uh, you know, I thought uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, you're talking about some of the pop culture references. And uh, I mean, there's a, uh, a gerbil joke, which uh, was all the rage. <laughs> Uh, in the late 80s, there's a, a well-known actor that uh, this had allegedly had had a mishap with a gerbil. And uh, it was apparently it was couldn't have been further from the true. But uh, I, I mean, I remember a song parody about it, among other things. And it's so long ago. I don't want to say who it was, <laughs> no. you know, but it, it's also, I mean, it's it, obviously it's not that important, but it, it was uh, Lawrence. It was Lawrence Olivier, Sir Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this is like 10 years removed from it. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's still a thing, you know, well, I know. Well, if I could speak to that for a second, too. So there's yeah, it's a moment inside a New York City hospital and it's just he can hear everything. It's sort of uh you know, like, obviously, he's got that sense and then some. And so everything that's happening in that hospital, he's hearing. My dad's friend was an emergency room doctor in Manhattan. And we're talking like the 60s Manhattan, the 50s. Sure. You know, we're not talking this Manhattan now. And so suffice it to say, some of those stories he would tell my dad oh, yeah. about what they would find where in people. Uh, I, I just uh, as I'm reading this, I definitely got memories of. Well, Hearing those stories, I was like, oh, gosh. And Well, it's yes. it's like on Seinfeld. You're not going to believe yeah. it, Doc. I can't believe, you know, I felt, I'm like, okay, yeah, you felt. I can't believe, I just sat on it. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, many people actually did say that to my dad's friend. 
Like, oh, in all earnest. I, I, I mean, to- oh, yeah. I don't know how that happened. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because <laughs> this is the um, this is the Marvel Knights era of Daredevil. So this is supposed to be mm-hmm. a little bit more extreme, a little bit more grown up. You know, DC was doing vertigo. I don't know much about wrestling, but uh, I know that this also, I believe overlaps with what, what's it, what the kids tell me was called the attitude era, you know, Very good. It, Very and good. radio. Uh, we were in the throes of what we like to know as 90 shock culture. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's crazy to think that, uh, you know, 15 years ago is a, a much different and more wild time. And some of the issues on Marvel Unlimited did have very specific warnings. Uh, and I thought it's it's important, I think, that when telling the story, Maya remembers being referred to as retarded. You know, because I, I know there's a lot of sensitivity to that word now, uh, but that's I, I mean, I think that if you're using it to make the point that you do here, it's important that you actually say it. You know, it's in print, uh, you know, and it the idea that uh, a deaf girl even, you know, assuming she grew up in the 70s, I, you know, the Marvel has that sliding timeline that it's hard right, to. Right, right, right. But let's just assume she grew up in the 70s and she was deaf. But she was so high functioning, despite the fact that she was deaf, because she could really, you know, she could really understand these vibrations and things. I can see her being characterized as mentally challenged, as slow. And it's like, eventually, it's like, oh, no, no, you're actually deaf. You can't hear. Like, oh, okay, well, I use all these other things. And uh, I, I find it to be interesting. Uh, I think it's important, you know, to because you never know what any reader might bring to a story things that they might be sensitive about. I think it's fine to put those things in there. I'm glad that they didn't change, uh, you know, that flashback. I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can, you can, uh, you know, you can put like a, a black bar over a word. You can change it right. into those, those comic book swears with, uh, you know, with symbols like the at symbol and the, what we now know is the hashtag, but sure. some of us remember when that was called the number sign. But anyway, uh, I, I think that the adult themes work really well to give you such a great understanding of who Maya is when Wilson Fisk comes into her life, why he's able to come into her life, and just how complicated her story is, you know? What, and uh, yeah, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say also, too, by using what we now call like the R word. But really, by using that word in print, one, you're, you're completely right. That's the word she would have heard way too much in her youth. Yeah. Um, and and would have even heard it, not just from other kids. At that time, it would have been used by adults, by educators. You know, it would have been used all over the place. And I think by using the word, it also, we as readers with our, our more modern eyes, even the ones who read this on its initial run, you feel more anger at that word, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, and so if they had replaced it with uh, developmentally challenged, um, uh, atypical, whatever it may be, it, it doesn't have the same impact as a word that I'm even right. It's even hard to say it out no, loud. No, yeah, yeah. You know it, what I mean? It, and, and 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 but I think it's important. And this, I you know, I one of the courses I teach deals with um, the history of American television, and so there are things I will show that are representations of things from other eras. But I, and I always say like, listen, like you have to know the history. So you kind of avoid repeating the history just with new language. And, and so I think like it, it actually dramatically added so much by having that. And it kind of hovers over and they repeat it a few times. So it, yeah, you very much feel, and sorry for the term, but really you feel the echo of it in her head because yeah. it echoes for us as readers too. Yeah, and I mean, we talked similarly about this. Uh, it was well, it was a year ago now when we talked to Chris Claremont about God Loves, Man Kills, and mm-hmm. there's a moment where Kitty says to Stevie Hunter, she uses the N word, and it's in there to make the point of somebody calling us a mutie is the same to us as that right. is to you. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's important to be able to make those those points. Obviously. 
God Loves Man Kills is from 1982. This is from 1999. Uh, it's definitely uh, a little bit uh, easier. Um, and uh, next time you drink a Coke, please change your background to uh, to Max Hedrum with all the all the lines going different ways. And then you can and we'll, then we'll really get some bog down. Uh, catch the wave Coke. But <laughs> anyway, just get that in there. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's I, I don't know. I know what Marvel was going for in this era. You know, I mean, some of the, mm-hmm. like, the old man Logan stories are definitely f- really for adults, you know, and just using another example. There's obviously plenty more. That's what Marvel Knights was um, bringing it back to some of the pop culture shout outs. When I saw this, when I was reading, I knew you were going to uh, share this image where. Uh, and for our audio audience, uh, I will mention that uh, I forget now the two brothers. So this isn't Lenny. This is Lenny's twin brother. Right. But uh, he's wearing a Mets shirt. And as as though he weren't already portrayed as enough of a loser. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, any roots for the Mets. Uh, it, it just uh, it made me laugh. Uh, but. <laughs> Those characters were interesting. Those twins, you know, that one worked for the Kingpin, but then also the Hitman twins who only spoke in like one liner cliches. <laughs> Those are fascinating I, guys. They're great. I just expect, I don't know why I was just like, okay, there's going to be some kind of twin payoff. Not that Maya has a twin. I didn't know what was coming. It's both interesting, but uh, I, I, that was one of those like, Oh, I really wish that they had, uh, you know, tied it all together, but uh, talk about sort of these two twins and, you know, how difficult it can be. Let me put uh, Lenny's brother back on the screen, how difficult it can be to highlight someone's speech impediment when you're using printed media. They do the best they can. This is what yeah, you see yeah, a lot yeah. in comic books, uh, you know. So it's uh, it's interesting. But what did you think about uh, the two sets of twins that I just referenced, Eric? Well, <laughs> I had the exact same thought of you of like, oh, yeah, of course that guy's not going to wear a Yankee shirt if he's <laughs> kind of a stumbling dude. Yeah, no, he's going to be a Mets fan. Uh, and, and and listen, hey, late, late, late 90s, you know, we're talking the Benny Agbabayani years. Like, we had some legit guys floating around there. John Olerud um, at first base. Yeah. Oh, and, oh uh, for people who don't know, Eric and I are both Mets fans. So Mets uh, we're, sufferers. Ce- we're, ce- yeah, we're celebrating uh, Lenny and his brother, assuming that both of the brothers were Mets fans. But uh, well, yeah. I, I like the twist, though, that one of them turned out to be kind of a badass. Like, yeah, you know, he he was driving the limo. He filled, filled Kingpin full of lead, yeah. um, you know, bad to pay or not. Like that dude was bad. And then also when he dropped his speech impediment and he's like, your speech is like, well, yeah, I'm not nervous. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, that's, yeah, that's, re- that's a remi- great character right there. That reminds like, me of someone that uh, you and I have both seen on the internet who says that uh, he only stutters uh, when he gets nervous. We should uh, specifically highlight the creative team. We're talking about the first part of this story, which is the, that first run of daredevil. Uh, so David Mack writes these stories he goes mm-hmm. on to do quite a bit more in the second batch. Uh, and Joe, Joe Casada it does right. the penciling. And it's it just sort of reminded me like just how good he was. And I know he still does some artwork, but obviously he, he's had much bigger focus since then. And Jim Lee sort of taking over DC, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, these guys are really good. Let's uh, let's let them run things. And, you know, this was similar eras where it's like, let's have these artists take charge. Uh, We'll we'll also shout out uh, Jimmy Palmati, who does uh, the inks. And in this style of book, which I assume was printed originally on that glossy paper by 1999, pretty much everything was. Yeah. uh, You know, it's so important to have the colors and just some of the design. Uh, Another image that you shared is this one where we see Wilson Fisk's head sort of being put together in puzzle pieces. And, uh, you know, we, we, the whole, there's like a larger puzzle motif as Maya remembers sort of her upbringing uh, talk a little bit about, you know, which for our visual audience, we can share this. Uh, our audio audience is going to have to make sure they check this out on their own uh, to take a look. But uh, talk about uh, just sort of playing visually in a way that, 
not that comic books never do, but usually don't do. You know, this is usually like a, a movie technique or animation, at least. Yeah, I, I the word cinematic definitely comes to mind a lot when you're reading this. And, and so I think like, the, the you know, I mentioned before the sheet music, the puzzle pieces, um, like what I really loved about what you just showed with the puzzle pieces, too, was there was a whole set piece that summarized after the fact as far as Daredevil breaking into Fisk's lair or whatever and turning out the lights to do it so that Kingpin knew it was him. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you know, you have Daredevil describing what he did and the puzzle pieces kind of going together with just kind of key uh, tableaus of the break in. And, and, and I think it was just, it's so smart because, you know, when we're reading this all together as a compendium, you know, it's a little bit different than when you read an issue of it. Uh, so when you read as a compendium, like, yeah, there's going to be other scenes with like, you know, a lot of like hand to hand combat, some really great fight scenes. But if it's an individual issue, uh, you know, the idea that they didn't just feel the need to only sort of have sort of fight, 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 but really like artistically thinking of how they could lay something out. So we feel kind of the the flow of what had happened, um, even if we don't quite get all the minutia of, you know, this part of the break in or that part of the fight. But um, they I mean, every time I mean, the drawing here. The, the penciling, the artwork, I mean, the colors are so vibrant, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the thing about, you know, looking at the work of, like, late 90s into the early 2000s, just the colors just pop off that page. Um, and, I, and this one, I'm, I am glad I, I once again, I, I find when I'm reading this, you know, with the book in hand versus my Kindle, it it, it, it is a little transformative for me. I, yeah. I feel... I feel the colors pop more. And maybe it's because my iPad screen has a massive crack in it right now. <laughs> <laughs> that might have something to do with it. I won't but, lie to you. But no, look, you're right. Because with the exception of the graphic novels that started in the early 80s, the majority of Marvel right up until the 90s, you know, into the 90s, they started experimenting with some better paper. But everything had to be four color printed on newsprint. And so right, 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 right. You, there's amazing artwork. I, it's a, I know that I'm going out on a limb, but they were limited by what they could do at the time. And sometimes when you see older stories uh, reprinted or presented digitally, you are going to uh, see things, you know, that weren't there before. It really brings some details out. We have the advent of this is really what it would have looked like in 1999 and uh i i mean just some of these images of daredevil and bullseye fighting you know that's it's a it's a fight from the frank miller run but uh, obviously uh Kusada's drawing it now or not now but drawing it in the 90s uh and just watching and reading as Maya is able to learn not to just fight like Daredevil, but also fight like Bullseye, who at this point I believe is dead and stayed dead for a little bit longer. You never really know with those things, but uh, you you know what I'm getting at, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I'm sorry, you seem like you were about to make a point, sir. You know, you, it's funny, one thing, I, I don't know about you, I didn't read that much Daredevil when I was really reading comics regularly. Like, I occasionally grab an issue because you know, sure. the covers would look cool. I'll always love the costume, but um, what I really enjoyed in the drawing of Daredevil is how he really has a devil look in yeah. a lot, a lot of this. Like just like his kind of smile. Like I, I don't think of him as having a, a Joker like smile, and yet they gave him that a number of times in this. Like when he's like mad, yeah, really feel a sense of an actual visual devil in ways that. Um, Usually, for me at least, I, I didn't notice as much in other Daredevil appearances in comics. Yeah, I think that you have to look specifically at certain runs of Daredevil to kind of get a sense. Uh, the original Frank Miller, uh, Klaus Janssen run was before my time as a comic book fan. Mm -hmm. But I gradually got around, you know, I was brought to Daredevil with things like a Secret Wars 2 crossover where he got his sight back, things like that. And mm -hmm. only a few months later, the uh, Frank Miller, uh, David Mazzuccelli, uh, Born Again, 
run starts, which I think whenever we do finally get uh, Daredevil born again, that'll be a, uh, a run to visit. But that is this, you know, elements of that were used in season three of the Netflix show. And it seems like it's going to be a large part the basis of the Disney plus Daredevil. Uh, that was, again, what I'm talking about in terms of when I say things are next level. I mean, I'm reading this as maybe a 10 year old nine or 10 year old. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, it's just like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. You know, what's going on. Some of the characters, it was, it was definitely more adult, but again, the visuals of that limited by the fact that it was on newsprint, sure. you know? Uh, and then uh, a little bit after that was a, a nice long run. And Senti did with John Romita jr. And that's where characters like Typhoid Mary get introduced. So those are, to me, those are the sweet spots of daredevil. Now, before the Frank Miller born again and in between the two of them, it's a little bit aimless. I think that this Marvel Knights era of Daredevil, they really knew what to do with him. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that Kevin Smith was excited to do Daredevil, it's one of those ones, you know, like Michael Giacchino wants to do Werewolf by Night. You're like, seriously? Yeah, go ahead. Do that. We weren't going to do anything with it. I'm still right. waiting for a man thing follow up, by the way, Eric, as you know. You and I both are. I know we. we... Big man thing, men fans here. But, you know, Kevin Smith coming on and relaunching this Daredevil series. So this is volume two of Daredevil. I believe we might be at volume five now. It's very hard to keep track of these things. Uh, I talk about that often. But uh, there's an even more blatant uh, shout out to Kevin Smith. And I I meant to mention this earlier. They go to see Mall Rats. <laughs> they go to see Mall Rats at the theater. And this isn't the year that Mall Mar- Mar- Rats was out in 1995. I remember. I, I went when I was in college. And this is, a, you know, you want to say this is 1998, you can. But that's still like, that was not a movie that was in theaters three years later. <laughs> not, not even a dollar theater would have yeah. Mall no. Rats. Maybe a, I don't think maybe it was in the theater a month. Theater. Yeah. 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 No, we literally, like where I grew up, we had a theater that movies were $1.50. And uh, Mallrats didn't have a uh, long run there, but uh, I don't know. Little shout outs like that, stuff like that is uh, is fun, you know. And, but you, you uh, see what else was playing with it that was Spider-Man? Uh, remind me because I don't have. No, no, in the movie Marquee, oh, I think it was yeah. Mallrats and Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, fun pop culture nods. I wrote this one down. Uh, you got uh, popcorn in my blood. Two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, shout out to the old <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups commercial. Reese's, yeah, Reese's, yeah. And uh, you know, there's uh, the nice moment where that third issue that we're talking about ends. It's the third chapter, and you know, uh, old Hornhead Daredevil's like, uh, at least she doesn't smoke. I couldn't stand it if she smoked, and uh, she's line. got a she's got a gun at his head. So the uh, I assume that the collection that you read, the the fourth issue, the fourth chapter is kind of it feels like a fill-in issue. It's kind of self-contained vignettes about Hell's yeah. Kitchen. Yeah. What they did what they did actually in in the compendium here was they they put that later. So that it actually went nine to eleven issues yeah. uh and then thirteen to fifteen. And then twelve was like yeah this like little fill in. Um yeah almost it's, felt like like a like a, one of those episodes when you watch a TV show and it does like a flashback episode. Yeah. Which it, it kind of felt like that. Which was fairly common in comic mm-hmm. books. You know, there would be a fill-in issue. I mean, uh, I I remember that uh, when classic X-Men started and the whole idea was that they were going to start with the new X-Men and run right, all the right, way right. through, they skipped an issue. I think they skipped two, actually, but not consecutive. And so years later, I track it down and, and it's like, oh, yeah, the X-Men are uh, being held by Arcade and who knows what's going to happen. But they use this moment to remember this story. There's like one new page and it's like, you know, it's uh, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like a completely different creative team. The art style is different. I'm like, all right, they had a fill in issue that uh, maybe there was a deadline that was missed. And it felt like that. But yet it's an amazing story. This collection of all these, you know, it's uh, it's. 22 short films about Springfield, which I know is of course uh, derivative of an actual film. But uh, one of my, at one point, 
possibly my favorite episode of the Simpsons was 22 short stories about oh, Springfield, just because we got to visit with so many characters. We so this I Quetus the Slack Jaw local theme Yopal. song. I yeah. mean, how do you that's pure yeah. art? And I thought that, uh, you know, it doesn't advance the story at all. And uh, I, I'm glad to see that uh, you have some degree of an answer because I read that and I'm like, all right, this doesn't really fit, but it fits in the context of Hell's Kitchen. And then on right, Marvel right, right. Unlimited, that also came with a warning because of the fact that it's about it's about um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, suicide. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah, not yeah. very uh, comics code authority approved topics, you know. But well, it, I actually right. and I found the language here. Uh, they say appeared in Daredevil twelve and is set between parts three and four of Parts of a Whole. It was commissioned as a fill-in, and in collecting the storyline, we decided not to interrupt the flow of the main story. But in the interest of completeness and because it's a good story in its own right, we're presenting it here. Uh, and I think it was. I'm glad they did it that way. Actually, it was. It was almost like a, like a like a sorbet between the first chunk of this, which is much more kind of story driven and the second group of issues from 51 to 55, much more cerebral, much more kind of esoteric storytelling. So it, it was actually the perfect place for it. In fact. Yeah. And uh, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmati are listed as the writers on that story. So clearly they just missed a deadline for the main story and they were like, all right, we can, you know, we can put uh, some bookends around it. Um, and then I, I think the way that you had it presented probably makes it work the best, but uh, talk yeah. about that story for a second. Just the, the, you know, <laughs> the 22 short stories of hell's kitchen, uh, your thoughts on it. I did have a confusion that maybe I thought you would be able to help me with. Are they yeah. fighting the whole time? And while they're fighting, they're also taking care of these little problems along the way. I don't think so. I, I think that those are, those are happening independently. Okay. And it's a little bit of suspension of disbelief. Like things happen by dumb luck, like where the Billy club ends up, you know, he's not trying yeah. to help. It's just uh, it, so that's the way I think it is. Uh, what we'd like to call happy accidents, Eric. <laughs> well, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to let that comment lie. Um, one thing I I realized I didn't send you, and I think I just noticed was the guy who's going to kill himself. His license plate is uh, ready to exit. Oh, I did not <laughs> notice that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and I love the logic of the guy's so depressed. He's thinking of killing himself. Is like, you know, I'm going to get a vanity plate though. Just so yeah. when they find the body, it's a good, yeah. good image. It, it, it's uh, it's almost like uh, he's trying to let people know, you know, like uh, Kurt Cobain had this unreleased track called I Hate Myself, I hate myself. and Want to I Die. Mean, yep. And uh, everybody's like, oh, that one slaps, Kurt. Let's go ahead and slap it on the uh, Beavis and Butthead soundtrack, which is I <laughs> think where it ended up. Yeah. <laughs> Very popular wedding song in 97, if I remember oh, correctly. I mean, look, 90s were crazy time. <laughs> oh, the. Some of, some of the conversations I was just having about the 90s. Let's just say it was a crazy time and then we can move on. And those crazy times are, of course, well represented on these pages. I mean, just some really, I don't know, just beautiful artwork that, uh, you know, we're highlighting here. And, you know, this, this first part of the story does uh, wind down, I think, very similarly to what they did in the the hawkeye series this one's more mm -hmm. matter of fact it's like yeah yeah yeah. i'm daredevil you know how old i am yeah i was in right, i was in right, middle right. school when your dad died and she's like all right my bad pretty easy, <laughs> pretty easy way to prove it though i mean right because you know he didn't have much time and i really like in that fight was he realized she he could only communicate if she read his lips Yes. And I thought that was a great detail because he's trying to like fight with her and protect himself, but also bring her close. And so it's like, how do you do both those things without her, you know, just uh, him, her literally ripping him a new one. Um, and it took two fights for him to actually figure out a way to do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love I some of these images. Uh, just beautiful. Like, I mean, this is poster worthy kind of tableaus. Right, exactly. And just, you know, the visual of of Maya and Daredevil just looking up at her. I mean, it's this is uh, very much, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything we've read 
for this series where I've been like, uh, oh yeah, nobody should check this out. But this is one I think that people are really missing out if they haven't seen some of these visuals we're talking about, um, you know, and uh, that one is definitely no different. You know, I, uh, I definitely, you know, it just looking at the pictures, it sort of reminds you of the, the brilliance that uh, can be accomplished with the, the comic book art form, you know, and there's uh, so many of these images that uh, we're talking about right now, like, you know, ones where, she's she's got the gun she's uh, basically he's standing on matt's neck you know there's so much to it that uh i think it's all great to look at with the the kid like drawings in the background yeah you know which is a runner throughout um almost every issue is like her childlike drawings uh you know and how she would sort of feel the world because she didn't have the ability to hear so it's like she used artwork a lot more and that expanded to later on dance and piano, but the, the kid like drawings mixed with the very adult like moment of, Oh yeah. Daredevil's about to get shot in the head. Like is uh, incredible. And, and and to your point, the animation's really kind of next level, but then the storytelling, I mean, it's like, it, it, it's beyond mature. Like, yeah. There's nothing kitty about this. Like no, know, as evidenced by something I referenced earlier, which oh, is this. Uh, Matt Matt just uh checking out the uh the, the devil and Miss Page, the uh the Karen Page uh you know, and uh you know, just sort of the comments. Uh the guy who works in the video store, uh very much looking like uh Dante from Clerks. Uh yep. I don't I don't think that's an accident. Uh but yeah, so yeah, it's the the storytelling is you know stellar, you know, and the visuals to match. And look, I've read enough comics from the last 10, 15 years, you don't always get both. Sometimes you get just some wonderful visuals. The example that I often use is one of the worst comic books I ever read was Spider-Man number one by Todd McFarlane because Todd McFarlane wrote it and he hadn't written Spider-Man before. David Michelini wrote his run in amazing and the visuals are all really cool. I still don't remember what happened in that, those four issues, uh, but specifically the first one where it was just like, yeah, look at all this. I'm like, well, it looks really cool. What's happening? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I, I mean, th- this is, uh, this is among some of the, the best stuff I've read in a long time, you know? And uh, one of the things before we sort of move on to, you know, we wind this part down, you did uh, grab the screen. Uh, you did uh, make a screenshot of, the fact that uh, A.J. Benza, who people remember from uh, E! True Hollywood Story or Mysteries and Scandals, Wilson Ms. Fisk. Scandal, yep. And what you didn't realize is that uh, I, I know A.J. Benza a little bit and had booked him as a guest on a show. And yes, his number is in my cell phone right now. So uh, I'm maybe one, one letter day. off, one letter off from Benza in, in the Christian Black phone book. I'm excited about that. You're pretty close. Yeah, yeah you're pretty close uh, in there. But you were talking about these visuals where they really play up Matt looking like the devil, you know, and yeah. Talk oh, and about also, this one. Well, this one too, especially. So this is uh, right after uh, echo almost takes him out and, and everyone, there's all these kids there. So she like runs off cause she doesn't want them to have to witness what she witnessed. Right. Um, and then, and, and, and it's twofold. The one, the backdrop of it is the kids arguing, are the moves Drunken Master 2 or Rumble in the Bronx? By the yeah. way, a quick plug. If you've never seen Drunken Master 2, I've seen a fair amount of Kung Fu movies in my day. Not as much as some. That is still one of my very favorite experiences I've ever had in the movie theater. Um, and you have to watch it. Because it, it, also it's it's pro-alcohol. Not enough movies are pro-booze. And that one is. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Just- and then... Yeah, sorry. Just beer league and uh, yeah, and, right, 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 and beer, and beer fest. Uh, go ahead, you finish right. your thought. I, I'm and, showing and, a different visual. Yeah, but and when the continue. foreground, the foreground was a beautiful drawing of um, he's he, Matt is furious, and again the devil comes out of him um, when he's also realizing she what she's doing, she's learning, and, and thus he's like, okay, now my game of chess is I have to figure out someone who knows all my moves. How do I then counter? someone who knows even my counters to their moves. So 
it, and it's smart because it builds from there. Therefore, yeah. his next attack is a much more specific, pronounced uh, location that help, gives him the advantage. Yeah. So very so, smart writing. No, yeah. very smart writing. And the writing, you know, as I said, informs not just the, the you know, this era because of Fisk's flashback. It informs the Netflix Daredevil series. But uh, right. also uh, Hawkeye and Echo. I mean, we've got Fisk in the bandages on his eyes from where Maya shoots him. You know, I mean, it's it's all very much uh, from this. And, you know, sort of seeing this telling that uh, takes place in the Marvel Universe proper, the printed Marvel Universe, the 616, if you will, Eric, uh, was great. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, this story certainly stands alone. But I I was glad that uh, this collection also features sort of that second part, the uh, 51 to 55, which is a few years later. And it's still David Mack. Uh, but Joe Crisada has, as I referenced, he's been promoted to editor-in-chief. So you still see his name in the credits, but uh, he's not hands-on at this point, you know? Yeah. Uh, but David Mack does the writing but he also does just some really impressive artwork and uh, you know he doesn't he he's not in charge of you know he's not the writer for Daredevil at this point this story uh, comes as kind of a break in a run by uh by Bendis that mm -hmm. uh you know so there's an acknowledgement of a lot of different stuff that's happening with Matt right now, you know, sort of uh, Fisk is gone. You know, he's kind of the kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, you know, he's in a relationship now and uh, Maya's incredibly jealous about it. He's the Russian girl. I'm going to go kill her. And, uh, you know, it's like, no, no, no. Those those were my 70s comics where the, sh the series was called Daredevil and Black Widow. You got to look for those. You know, you look yeah, for yeah. the asterisk that explains it. So. David Mack clearly took the time to write pencil ink and do the colors. So he did everything mm -hmm. for these issues. And it's just this beautiful, stunning. And I assume that the Picasso images are from this part of the story, right, Eric? I don't want to. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. and there's there's multiple nods to just a variety of artists. You have Picasso, Klimt, um, Van yeah. Gogh, uh, and and it's like and wearing. There's, there's Van Gogh right there, by the way, yeah. for our visual audience. Yeah, and and we assume she has both her ears. We're not sure, but and, <laughs> we can only see one. Yeah, and and I think you know I was going kind of back to this idea of when it first got released as individual issues because. For four, is it four issues, right? That Th this part is four, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's kind of a big ask of, of your readers because, well, one, there's almost no Daredevil, there is a Wolverine who shows up for a little bit, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of sort of philosophy, a lot of history. I mean, they have an image where they're representing the, the, the famed, uh, infamous Trail of Tears, and, and yeah. so, like, that's pretty bold and, and to use that word again and i, I think the idea that casada was like yeah go with it you know like you that's fine like it's okay like our readers won't run away because you're challenging them and um really got deep into the the folklore the mythology the history uh in ways that uh, you know the idea of doing it one issue at a time it's like you you know it's not just a one-off it's not just a as you called it a fill-in it's more yeah. than that. It's a whole story here, and it's a spiritual journey that pays off not with a big battle, but with her realizing the power of stories, and she has a story to tell, which is, uh, you know, for someone who teaches a lot of writing classes, it's a it's a lovely thing to put see written in print, um, but it's also like a pretty powerful message and one that's like, in essence, saying like these stories are important to tell. Yeah, it's comic books. Yeah, it's superheroes, but the the case of Maya, she her character came from a different place than the traditional superhero, and I think they um, they really respected what Mac was going after, and and I think that they allowed him to have the sort of uh, real estate to do that, to really explore and and I mean honestly to help us feel what it means to go on one of these sort of spiritual journeys, 
you know, what it means to have a vision quest in a way that's not just a cartoonish representation like you would see in cinema, um, but rather a, a kind of a deeply thought and researched representation of something most people have never done in their own lives. Yeah, and uh, the images we're sharing now is sort of this moment I referenced where Maya's being informed that uh, Daredevil's in a relationship and, uh, you know, she is just assuming it's the redheaded Russian. Um, but what struck me, you know, you sent me this image, but um, just how much she uh, looks like Rosario Dawson in some of these images, yeah. who of course ends up being Night Nurse and not Echo. And uh, Lockwa Cox is obviously perfect for Echo because she's, uh, you know, uh, actually someone who is deaf and you know speaks through sign language and uh, you know sort of has the the added uh, difference in terms of you know she's missing the limb. So, uh, but I just thought that, uh, but these images are so beautiful anyway. You know, I mean, yeah. just just taking a look at them and, uh, you know, it would happen once in a while in in the, the old days in comics, but there'd always be special issues that, uh, you know, that would be painted like there's a there's a Wolverine and Havoc miniseries that's painted sort of like that, you know, that uh, basically it wasn't the norm, you know, back in in right. that era. Um, but this just gives us, you know, a, just a great opportunity of exploring Maya and really getting to know her and just kind of seeing some of those things. You touched on the historical aspect of it. And one of the things that comic books uh, often can do is really tell the history. And you talked about it actually not just references the Trail of Tears, but it, it, it explains it in a way where right. if you are a younger reader who maybe uh, blew right past the warning for Marvel Knights, you maybe aren't aware of this. And uh, even adults can stand to be reminded of the specifics of it. And again, you're telling these, you know, heartbreaking, awful, you know, just really atrocities to groups of people. But it's being told in such an elegant way that it's very compelling. And I'm glad that they uh, combine both of these runs of Daredevil into the story that we're talking about, Eric, I, I thought mm -hmm. it, it was, it was really important. There's plenty more, uh, echo stories. I'm even more intrigued than I was by the, right. the TV series and reading this stuff. You know, there's, there's a number of mini series. There's a recent one that is daredevil and echo, but, um, I, I could not give a better recommend, a higher recommendation for this trade paperback that, you know, features, what is it all nine stories? Or if you have Marvel unlimited and you already pay for it, like I do just read it that way, you know, it's fine. You don't have to go and buy it, but you were able to actually hold a book in your hand, Eric. So that already makes me a little jealous. Hey, you got it right there. Cause you, as you can see, I don't have enough stuff. behind yeah. me. So yeah. Whenever a new book arrives, I get, I might get a look or two from a certain person I live with and like, really, there's, <laughs> a, there's a reason I have a uh, virtual background, Eric, uh, because of all oh, of just add all the to stuff. It. I, it's a personality thing. You know, it gives a taste of my life though, you know, and occasionally a dog comes in chewing something he's not supposed to, you know, what, <laughs> what am I hiding? Right. Exactly. Uh, so I hope that uh, everybody just sort of enjoyed this conversation. If you're familiar with this work, probably a lot of what we had to say, you're like, well, duh. Yeah, it's a great story. No wonder this is exactly why they put her in, you know, MCU series and, and things like that. You know, this is this is exactly why this happened. But some of us uh, wait to see the TV show before uh, we actually read it. And this is one of those times where I'm like, oh, I, if I had this going in, I would have appreciated the way that they adapted it even more, you know, but oh, like although I, said, I also would have been more angry about those, uh, the sort of the back half of episodes when all of a sudden, like <laughs> it just put her in these incredibly easy to get out of situations. So I, I well, might, I'm, yeah. I'm, glad we right. did, I'm glad we did it this way. Cause I appreciated this book. I appreciated about 50% of the show. If we had done it the other way, that number would have gone down considerably. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you might be onto something there. So please, everybody, check it out here. Uh, you, you hold it up again, uh, Eric, and I'll, yes. I'll put you. Yes, I'll put you. 
hello, hello. Let me put you in the uh, the big screen. Yeah, there you go. So Echo, the saga of Maya Lopez. It is the image that uh, you've seen behind us and we've shared uh, a few times during the course of the show. And uh, please check that out. And uh, check out our next episode of Geekscape Book Club, which will be essentially a month from now. Uh, it's We talked about the day. It is March the 28th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And we are going to cover uh, a book that uh, has come highly recommended a number of times, the 1986 Aquaman miniseries. I think it might be one of those, like 85, 86. Uh, but we'll also be joined again. Uh, it's been a while. It'll be joined by our buddy, uh, Jeff Winstead, who he is the one who has uh, spoken out on uh this this story and how it kind of is the the dceu it's like the basis for that aquaman it might not look like it in the image that uh, i'm sharing now but uh join uh, eric myself jeff winstead and if i can talk anybody else into joining us that'll be the 28th of march 4 p.m eastern 1 p.m pacific but uh get reading on this book um I I try not to do Marvel every month, but uh, the last few <laughs> the last few months it's been hard not to, uh, just because of what's been going on. But uh, there are elements of this story I'm told that uh, were represented in Aquaman two. And uh, Eric, what did you text me about Aquaman two just a little while ago? Oh, I said I did see Aquaman two, and I realized I had forgotten ninety eight percent of it. Yeah, I'm I'm facing a similar problem as I deliberate on sitting down for two hours and 46 minutes to see Dune Part 2 because I fell asleep during Dune Part 1 and uh, I, I I wasn't sure if I'd missed anything or not. I feel like I didn't, but... Uh, Admit it, yeah. we're just going to get the, the warm popcorn buckets. I think that's, All right, that's really yeah. the, the big... The big <laughs> kind of the main reason that we're going. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, and Aquaman 2 is now on Max, HBO Max, which is only called Max now. And uh, back in January, I did uh, do the Geekscape special with Jonathan where we discussed it. So if you have seen it or you see it after this, you can go find that on the Geekscape feed. And you can always find this show on Geekscape and then the other show that uh, Eric and I are a part of, which is Marvel Movie Talk. Uh, I believe we'll be back uh, next Thursday in this time slot, uh, Thursday, March 7th. But I have no idea what we would talk about. So I'm going to put an asterisk next to that. I got to figure out what we would talk about. <laughs> but uh, once we get uh, once we start getting new episodes of uh, X-Men 97, we'll at least have that. So it'll be it'll be a little bit easier to uh, plan out those shows. But if you have not yet watched it, I will shamelessly self-promote the most recent as uh, the recording of this, the most recent episode of Marvel movie talk where I was joined with Chris Claremont, who we referenced earlier, his legendary X-Men run from 1975 to 1991. He's done a lot since then as well, but uh, that's, you know, your resume has that it, the, the rest of it is like, okay, yeah, but also this. So um, we talk about some newer stuff and uh, I, I, I had promised his wife I would keep the, uh, the whenever he talks to me, it goes really long. And Eric's found that out the hard way. Uh, and I promised his wife I would keep it to an hour and a half. It ended up being two hours and 20 minutes <laughs> because at an hour 25, I said, well, we should really talk about these two things that we're supposed to have been talking about for the oh, last no. hour and a half. But I mean, he talks about uh, the MCU. He talks about the end credit scene from the Marvels. He has some thoughts on that. But then he goes through and tell, maps out how they should have done, how Fox should have done the X-Men movies. And we there's just so much uh, that I don't even remember everything we talked about. I was typing out a summary. And as I'm typing out the summary, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why it went two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> because he's always a delight to talk to as was last month's guest on this show, JMD Mateus, who we talked about creating last hunt. So those are two episodes that if you haven't heard them, please track them down. I appreciate that. And you can always find me at Blatcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, sorry. You can find me Christian DMZ and I have my own podcast called the Blackcast, And 
Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Who are these broadcasters on the Who Are These Podcast Network? Eric, how do people keep in touch with you? Uh, just come hunt me down. Count Eric Connor over on Twitter, X, and Instagram. And I uh, would love to say hello. So please, stop yeah. on by. And uh, Eric is uh, sort of now he's kind of been drafted into uh, having to be on all these shows with me. So uh, you'll see him that probably the next time you see me on Geekscape. Um, but uh, we appreciate everybody who joins us every month for this. And uh, we love talking about comics. Let us know if you have recommendations for uh, things we should read. Uh, we have occasionally stepped out of the big two publishers. I would like to do more of that in 2024. But as we said, next month will be that Aquaman miniseries from 1986. But uh, so that's all for this month. As we always like to say, uh, if as long as they keep writing them, we'll keep reading them. See you next time, everybody. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.